Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Let me tell you something. When you're a six foot five, 215, 20-ish pound person, and you pass out in the shower and you can't move for the pain... You need rescue. There was nothing that Laura could do when I was there stuck. I mean, she couldn't move me. Poor thing had to sit there and wait. And she was asking, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm like, I don't know. It just hurts. In that moment, I realized I needed more than myself. I needed more than anything Laura could do. I needed rescue and I needed it fast. Now, as silly as that might sound, because all I really had was pancreatitis, I think about joy and the rescue you needed, and at just the right moment at the right place, right? I mean, think, I think about that often. I know you do, but I think about that often, just the grace of you needing rescue in an EMT who was working in a shop, a shop that happened to have a defibrillator brought you back to life. At the very moment you needed rescue, it was there. When Laura was stuck there trying to figure out what I do, and she reached out to Peter, and she reached out to Colby, and they were like, okay, let's just get an ambulance here. When that ambulance showed up, I don't care that I was in my skibbies. I don't care that I had throw-up all over me. I just needed rescue. Never was there a better sight than flashing lights in front of my house. How often can you say that? I hope no one ever has to say that in here. At just the right time, at just the right place, joy had a rescue. At just the right time, at just the right place, I had a group of people come and rescue me from a shower stall. That's what this story is all about, this Christmas story. At just the right moment, God shows up for the rescue. At just the right moment, He enacts His plan. There are two words for time in Greek, Koine Greek, which is the Greek that the New Testament's written in. One is chronos. That probably sounds familiar. It's chronological time. It's literally the marking of seconds, hours, days. It's, it's the measurable time. Then there's another time that means just the right timing. It's the right timing. It's like showed up on time, like right at the right moment. And that's the word used to describe Jesus showing up. At just the right moment in human history, and just the right moment when the world was in a place where it needed rescue. And I get it, we still need rescue. But God's rescue was instituted at the birth of Jesus, and it continues until we reach ultimate, until we reach the ultimate redemption, which lays sometime in the future. But today we're going to look at this small passage that kind of speaks to this in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew. I didn't even set up my thing today. Golly, I'm out of it. Uh, I'm, can I just follow on screen? All right, so we're in Matthew 1, 
18 through 25. Man, I'm still a little foggy on my head. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Again, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, which meant that they were engaged, but they hadn't come together in marriage yet. It was a legal marriage without the consummation of the marriage yet. And so they lived separately, but for a whole year, it was all preparation. But in that year, what we would call engagement, they were actually betrothed. It was a legal binding marriage, even though it hadn't been consummated yet. And so before they came together, before this consummation, before she moved into his house, before the final celebration, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to stop here because this is important to understand. She was with child from the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit personally impregnated her. That's just weird. It means that miraculously, from the power of God, understanding that the Holy Spirit is the power of God at work on the earth, that through this power of God, she was with child. Now, there's another place where we see the Holy Spirit in this act of creation. And it's kind of creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. And it's in Genesis, where the Spirit hovers over the deep. We don't know what the deep is. We don't, we don't know what all elements were included in the deep. We don't know if that's God's way of saying something that we just don't understand but the Spirit was hovering over the deep. So the Spirit was involved in the first creation. The Spirit is involved in a new creation. And that's what Matthew wants us to pick up here. This is a deep theological truth that he wants us to follow, that the Spirit was involved in the first creation, and that the Spirit is involved in this creation of Jesus, which is the new creation. God is hitting reset. And so that's what this verse really stands out and means, that she was found to be child uh, uh, from the Holy Spirit. All right, next verse. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He was going to divorce her and send her away to live with relatives somewhere. Now, the only legal action he had at the time, well, there were two, he could have her humiliated, which may or may not end in her being killed, or he could divorce her quietly and send her away. He chose the latter, which was the more just, more grace-filled choice. So that's what his decision had been. Already made it, and it was a done deal. Verse 20, but, and that's a big but, and I cannot lie. Other brothers, they might try to deny, but this one's a big one. But, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And yes, this would have been a freaky angel. Not a, not a really beautiful angel, not like the angel you got at the top of your tree. It would have been a scary angel shows up in a dream. And Joseph, son of David, said, the, the, the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to make Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, she wasn't stepping out on you. This isn't, this isn't natural. This is supernatural. 
So Joseph, son of David. Why is son of David important here? This is just as an aside. Because the Savior would come from David's lineage. And we know that Mary's lineage wasn't David's lineage. So it had to be Joseph's lineage. Now some of you are thinking, well, if it's not his kid, how is it his lineage? You're about to find out. Don't be afraid to take her uh, as your wife. Next verse, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is another pretty theological sentence, even though we might not necessarily realize it. First off, the name Jesus, what does it mean? And don't say, uh, he will save his people from their sins. What does Jesus mean? The Lord saves, or Yahweh saves. So God saves, God redeems, God puts things right. So you're going to name him Jesus because God's going to put things right, and then he defines what putting things right means, for he will save his people from their sins. You follow that? So in essence, this angel is defining Jesus and what it means for God to, to redeem or God to save is not just God saving someone from a catastrophe, but pay, saving people from the consequences of sin, right? So that's important. He's saying, look, you're about to have a baby. It's not really your baby, but you're going to name the child. Why is it important that he names the child? Because when you name a child, you claim it as your own in their culture. So this is how Jesus becomes part of the lineage of David. He is accepted and adopted into Joseph's lineage. Does that make sense? That's why Joseph had to name him. But not only name him, name him Jesus because of what he was going to do. Next verse, verse 22. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, if you're wondering. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you turn in your Bibles and you look this up in Isaiah, it's not going to say this exactly. In part, because this translation doesn't come from the Masoretic text, but from the LLX, LXX. And I just lost all of you. That's okay. There's two translations of the Old Testament. One is based on some of the original Hebrew and the languages that were used there, and one is the, LL, the LXX, which is the, it's the Greek version of the Old Testament. So when you were writing in Koine Greek, they had at their disposal this already Greek Old Testament. And so when he writes this, he quotes the Greek Old Testament, the one written, the one that was available to him. So Matthew uses the Greek Old Testament, so not the, Greek, not the Hebrew Old Testament. It was the Hebrew Old Testament translated into Greek. And so this is exactly the quote from the Greek Old Testament, minus one word, and that word is they. We'll come to the importance of that in a minute. But we were just told that his name was going to be Jesus. And now we have this quote from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. So what does that mean? A couple of things that I think are important. There's three parts to this. 
why Matthew uses this verse as proof that Jesus was the one foretold by the prophets. And by the way, this is the first time Matthew does this, but he does it over and over and over again in his gospel. This is the first time he uses an Old Testament prophecy to prove who Jesus is. So he uses this formula and he comes to this Isaiah text. And there's three things about this text that he's tapping into. One is obvious. The virgin shall conceive. Now what's interesting in the original language in the Hebrew, this word that we translate virgin is a word that's only used like two or three times in the whole New Old Testament. And it means a young woman who has come of age to where she can have children, but doesn't have children because she hasn't been with a man. It's very specific and technical. Now, there have been arguments saying, well, that word doesn't really mean virgin. But it's only used a certain amount of times, a very few times, and every time it means that there's something special about her status and her relationship sexually. It means that she is of age, but she doesn't have child. And in their culture, that was akin to saying virgin. Now, there is a flat-out word for virgin. They don't use this here. There's a flat-out word for young woman who's unmarried. They don't use that here. It's a very specialized word. The point being, Isaiah uses this strange word as to make an emphatic point. And the emphatic point is that there's something different about this young woman. And so, that's the first point. That's why he taps into this. That's why Matthew quotes this. The virgin shall conceive. The second part is that she will bear a son and they will call his name something, right? And so Jesus, uh, or I'm sorry, um, Joseph is sitting there and the angel says, you will call his name Jesus. And so that is similar to this Isaiah prophecy. They shall call his name Emmanuel. It's not Jesus, I understand, but it's more specifically telling the way God is going to save. Does that make sense? Matthew wants, to see, wants us to see that there's two parts to who this Jesus is. One is that he saves. The second is how he saves. He saves by showing up. He saves by coming and being with us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't stand off from afar. He wasn't a God that was in some distance. He wasn't just some being that kind of ordered things. He wasn't some power out there that put the, all of the energy of the cosmos in, in order that created a big bang. He's not just that. He is a personal being that shows up in this place, in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our brokenness, at just the right time for the purpose of rescue. They shall call his name Emmanuel which is the third thing that he wants to point out, and it's a very theological thing. It's this idea of incarnation. God is with us. And God is with us is not just a God was with us when Jesus was here, but God is with us from that point on. It's the already and not yet that the theologians talk about. God has already shown up. He's already present with us now. And it started with Jesus' birth, and it continues that it will be fully consummated in the future. 
And right now, we're in the already and not yet. We're in the in-between, where God's already working out redemption and changing the world, but it's not completely changed. We're in the in-between, and that tension, the already not yet, which is even more important that His name is Emmanuel. Because the already not yet is messy, isn't it? Life still sucks at times. It is still messy. I will not name names, but there are patients in hospitals that are suffering from pancreatitis who accidentally pooped their bed. I'm just saying, theoretically. And it's a mess. And it's horrible. And it's nasty. And that's the already not yet. That's the tension we live in. But even in our cruddy situations, He is with us. Like the nurse who shows up and cleans you and changes you. Sorry, you never wanted to know that. Hypothetically speaking, that could have happened. And is (laughs) it... And my doctor, who knows all of this, says, amen. And so, and so, in the middle of all this, in the middle of pain and suffering, in the middle of crappy situations, He is with us. Do you get that? And isn't that the good news here? I mean, think about that, guys. We don't do this alone. I couldn't have made it alone without the help of incredible doctors and nurses, without the un believable support of my family, and particularly Laura. Oh my gosh, I said this yesterday at a wedding. You think love, you know love, when it's all the, the, the fun times, right? You think about love and you think about the, oh, the giggly warm moments. You think about anniversaries and weddings. You think about trips together in those romantic evenings. You think about all of that and you think, oh yeah, that's love, but that's That's good love, but great love is there when your husband craps the bed, literally. And as graphic and nasty as that is, I want want it to be, because that's the kind of stuff God shows up in. Emmanuel. He was laid in a manger. You think that smelled good? He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Do you think that was comfortable and nice? He's with us there. What a powerful theological statement. One of my favorite devotionals for this time of year is The Christ of Christmas by Calvin Miller. Calvin Miller was the preacher, uh, the professor of preaching and distinguished preacher award from Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama. He was also one of my professors in my doctorate of ministry programs specifically focused on preaching. Calvin Miller, Calvin Miller is brilliant. He's phenomenal. Phenomenal wordsmith. And so I like reading his, um, his devotional for Christmas And this is what he says about Emmanuel. And by the way, this is what really sparked me this past week to settle in on this verse. 
God did not watch human despair from the safety of heaven. He clothed himself in humanity. He ceased watching the human war, the battles that they were fighting, and he became a soldier. Oh, think about the things that God experienced in becoming a man. The blistering summer sun, the shivering rains of winter, the blight of hunger when he fasted, the desperation of bereavement when his earthly father died, the empathy of a mother's tears when she stood at the cross, the disappearance of all friends and the loneliness that came with it at his arrest in Gethsemane, the pain of friends' denials and rejection when Peter quaked before the truth, the staggering shock of treachery by his friend Judas, the horror of naked judgment with no one to speak on his behalf, the agony and pain of crucifixion when he experienced the status of a convict wrongly accused, the agony and the loneliness of death, the loneliness of being forsaken by everyone. But why did he do it? Because these sorts of things form the very fabric of all of our living. That's why he did it. He did it because that's how we experience life. He lived it and he, and, he, and he experienced pain and suffering and grief because that's what we experience. He didn't show up and have a cushy life. It wasn't all up and to the right. Life wasn't peachy for him. It was hard and at times miserable. But he did it because that's our experience. Calvin Miller writes, we cannot live without bumps and pains, without heartache and desolation without mosquito bites and without cancer. But Emmanuel was God saying, you shall not bear such pain alone. God became flesh to redeem. And so I don't know all of your experiences and what you're going through now, but God's there. I don't know what pain and heartache lies for you in the future, but God's already there. I don't know what tragedies, what griefs, I don't know what high points and exhilarating experiences you have, but whether it's the deepest, darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, or whether it's standing on the mountain, He is there. Emmanuel. God is with you. And I told you that there was one word different from the quote from Isaiah. It's they. Why do you think he adds they? Why does Matthew take the word you and says they? Not rhetorical. Because he's there for all of us. We all need rescue. And that's what he came to do. Whether your heart is stopped in Colorado or whether you're lying in pain on the floor in your shower, he is there. 
and He is the great rescue. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one. Thank you.